On this episode of Serverless Chats, I speak with Mike Deck from AWS about event-driven architectures using AWS EventBridge. This is Serverless Chats, episode number five. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and you're listening to Serverless Chats. This week, I'm chatting with Mike Deck from AWS. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks a lot for having me. So you're a solutions architect at AWS, and I'm pretty sure most people are probably familiar with what Amazon Web Services does. Um, But why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe what a solution architect does at AWS? Yeah, sure thing. So um, so I'm actually on our partner team. So I, I work as a partner solutions architect which means that I work with both our ISV and consulting partners to uh, help them with kind of any technical questions they have, uh, work with our ISV partners on their product roadmaps and how they're integrating with our services, helping them with architectural questions and things like that. Um, Been at AWS for for about four years at this point, Um, been on the partner team the whole time. And uh, most recently I've been kind of specializing in the serverless space. Um, So working with a lot of our, our great ISV and consulting partners that are they're doing things around Lambda and API Gateway, um, as well as with, uh, with the new service that we're that we just recently launched. Cool. All right. So speaking of services recently launched uh, at AWS Summit New York, AWS launched this new product called EventBridge, uh, which is sort of this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of this cool extension to CloudWatch events. Um, and since you're on the partner team, or you're the partner team solutions architect for uh, partner integrations with EventBridge, um, you obviously know probably more about this than anybody else. So why don't you tell us a little bit about EventBridge and sort of what it does? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think you know it's definitely accurate to uh, compare it to CloudWatch events. So, really, kind of the the genesis of this service was that you know we saw um, customers building more and more with this kind of event driven model. Um, and CloudWatch Events is is really a fantastic tool for for doing these kind of things. You know, I think Forrest Brazil had a had a blog post a little while ago about using CloudWatch Events to do um, awesome event driven things. Uh, we see a lot of customers that are interested in this space. Uh, the Event Fort Pipelines projects came out and got a lot of traction, um, and so we realized that you know there's really this kind of need to build uh, additional services that make it easier to build these kind of things. So uh, we took the existing CloudWatch Events. Uh, infrastructure and, and APIs and kind of extended them to add some additional features around integrating with SaaS providers to, to create more native event sources that you can use within your AWS applications. Um, and, and then, yeah, extended those APIs to, to make it easier for customers to do things like creating custom event buses and, and attaching to, uh, to SaaS event sources, et cetera. So, so what are some of those use cases then that customers might build with this? Yeah, so um, you know, I think the one of the obvious ones is, hey, I, I want to trigger a lambda function every time someone creates a new ticket in my CRM, for instance, right? Um, I want to go and kick off some sort of workflow, or maybe I'm going to start a step functions or do something like that. Um, we also see a lot of uh, customers interested in uh, doing kind of audit and analytics type workloads. So um, I just want to ingest kind of the the full event stream of of all of the things that have changed out, you know, maybe in my um, identity management tool that I'm using. So every time a failed login happens or, or every time a new user is registered, uh, I just want to ingest that, throw it into a Kinesis Firehose data stream um, and put it out into an S3 data lake so I can go and query it with Athena or something like that. 
Um, and then obviously, you know, ML um, and, and doing kind of AI inference and things like that on all of these various data streams is, is becoming super popular as well. So this gives you a great opportunity to, uh, you know, every time, um, you know, a new email is opened in your, in your kind of uh, customer engagement platform, uh, you can ingest that in, add it to your model or, or do some sort of inference on it in order to drive additional kind of business decisions. Yeah, so those are so those are some really cool sort of things that you can do with it. And I remember Forrest's uh, article about uh, sort of using CloudWatch events um, and using custom events as uh, you know basically almost like an SNS topic in a sense. So maybe let's get into the nuts and bolts of EventBridge, kind of how it works. So the, with existing CloudWatch events, you can use a uh, put events API or put custom events API mm -hmm. or something like that where. Uh, and then Forrest explains that in his article, uh, where you can send an event and then you can subscribe consumers to it. But why, uh, why this extension? What's the what, what's this idea of having um, separate event buses? Sure. So um, yeah. So I guess there's a, there's a few different reasons that you might want to have different event buses. So um, so like you mentioned with CloudWatch events, uh, there's really just sort of the default event bus um, in each region of your account. Um, we publish all of these sort of native AWS events to, to that default event bus. Um, and so those just kind of appear in your account automatically without your having to do anything. Um, you know, the ability to create additional custom event buses now lets you kind of segregate these different application domains or, or different, uh, uh, different contexts, I guess, for, for the various different types of, uh, events that you need to ingest across your different services and, and applications. Um, and it also gives you a, a good way to create separate channels for different SaaS applications that, that you may have that you're trying to uh, to build event-driven architectures on the back of. Um, so yeah, we can we can talk a little bit more about kind of the the specifics of of how it all works. But basically, every every individual SaaS provider that you're integrated with is going to have its own event bus, um, so that you can write rules against that uh, and keep all of those different uh, different events separated from the different sources. All right, so I definitely want to get into the the SaaS side of things. I think that's probably one of the uh, one of the coolest sort of features of this yeah. uh, event bridge. Uh, but let's let's go back maybe and start at a lower level, talking about event sources and targets. So what sure. uh, what events? Because you, you mentioned uh, that you can get all of these events that are happening within your AWS account. So anytime a new account's created or a new resource is created or something changes, there's these. Uh, these events that are sent to that default event bus. But now with this separate event bus, um, how would we subscribe sources to that or, sure. or set targets to, uh, you know, set targets to trigger Lambda function or other other services? Right, right. Yeah. So, um, so, so EventBridge works with this concept of rules. Uh, so every event bus has, uh, has a set of rules associated with it, which allow you to uh, essentially select the events that are interesting um, and then from each one of those rules, you can you can create multiple targets that it's going to forward each of the events that match that rule down to. So, uh, for instance, you may decide um, I, I want a rule that's going to uh, match all of the sort of ticket created events from Zendesk. Um, and so you would build a rule that has in it, you know, the, the detail type equals uh, ticket created. And then um, you'd associate, you know, potentially multiple targets with that. Maybe I want to send all of the the new ticket records down to um, a Kinesis stream, so they can go and be processed by some other kind of downstream analytics process. Um, and then I also want to trigger, uh, you know, a step functions workflow. Um, so each of those would be targets, and you would associate those two targets with that one rule. 
Um, and now anytime that Zendesk publishes a new event to your account um, that is of type ticket created, um, that's going to match that rule and then send that downstream to those specific targets. Uh, and so you can have multiple rules and multiple targets per rule uh, in order to kind of build these, uh, these sophisticated event routing models. So you keep mentioning like SaaS providers like Zendesk right. and stuff, and I, I totally want to get into that. But before we do that, so this is not not just for SaaS providers though, right? I mean, you can create your own custom events. It's sort of, uh, and again, this is maybe in comparison to Forrest's article, um, but you can sort of use it as SNS almost, or like an SNS sure. uh, pub subtype thing. So maybe explain, you know, what's the difference between this and something like CloudWatch events or SNS or even yeah. Kinesis? Yeah, so I think uh, so. So talking, so I think SNS is probably the most similar sort of service if you want to think about it that way. Um, in terms of SNS, gives you the ability to publish messages and then fan those out to multiple subscribers. Uh, SNS has the concept of a subscription policy uh, that allows you to kind of filter messages per subscription. So again, you can get similar kind of features to the way that rules work uh, within EventBridge. Um, you know, the, the big difference on the SNS side versus EventBridge is uh, for custom events anyway, the, the downstream targets that you have accessible within SNS um, is more limited than what is available in EventBridge. So EventBridge has 17 different AWS services that you can uh, integrate with uh, natively. So you don't have to sort of pass through a Lambda function necessarily if you just want to go and yeah, drop something on a Kinesis stream or Firehose or uh, kick off a step function, et cetera. Um, so I think that's one of the big key differences there is, is the sort of richness of the, the kind of targets as well as, as the source piece that we'll talk about here in a, in a little bit. Um, I think where SNS really shines is when uh, you're in the super high throughput or really massive fan out. So if you've got thousands or millions of subscriptions that you want to um, have for a single topic, uh, SNS is definitely the way to go. Um, similarly, if, you, if you're really trying to push, you know, millions of TPS or something like that um, through a particular topic, uh, SNS is a better option uh, for when you've got those those really kind of massive high throughput workloads. Um, so yeah, so I think those are the, those are kind of the key callouts. And then yeah, talking about Kinesis a little bit. So Kinesis um, gives you more of a streaming model. So everyone that's going to consume that stream is going to see every single message on that stream. Um, you know, you're somewhat limited in total number of people that can consume a single stream, and and each individual consumer would be sort of responsible for uh, kind of filtering out any messages that they weren't potentially interested in. So. And so with SNS, um, so I, I think that's a, that's a really good point you make about the services that are that can be triggered off of uh, EventBridge because with SNS again you can't trigger or you can't start a step function. Um, you have to write a lambda function that then calls that step function. So there's just extra sort of processing in there. Um, and then with Kinesis, that's sort of interesting because this is probably one of was my biggest question when I first found out about this product um, was this idea of sort of event buffering, right? So we uh, we typically, especially if we have downstream services that might not scale as much as mm -hmm. our Lambda functions would, uh, we would put a queue or a Kinesis stream yep. or some way to buffer those events. Um, there's no event buffering yet, right, in EventBridge. Right. Um, right. So you would still use something like SQS if you did need to buffer events. 
Exactly. That's a great point. Uh, so, so certainly using those types of services, SQS, Kinesis, SNS, like all of the standard sort of messaging services that you typically think of, um, oftentimes I think get used in conjunction with, you know, previously CloudWatch events and now EventBridge. Um, so certainly having a rule whose target is an SQS queue so that you can buffer all of those events and then have, you know, each individual consumer have their own queue that they can work off of. Um, makes a ton of sense. So using SQS as that kind of uh, simple queue that, that gives you uh, gives you that message durability and all of the, the delivery and dead letter queue semantics, uh, but then using EventBridge to really manage kind of the, the message routing and filtering pieces, which is where it really kind of excels. Um, so super common pattern there, definitely. All right, super important question here. Uh, how is this priced? Yeah, so uh, pricing is exactly the same as the existing CloudWatch events uh, custom event pricing, so uh, dollar per million uh, events that get published into your event buses, basically. So if you're publishing custom events uh, yourself, then it's exactly the same as if you're publishing to the default CloudWatch events bus. Um, yeah, dollar per million there. Um, and, and then similarly, if you've got this hooked up to uh, SaaS event sources, um, as long as you have an event bus hooked up to that event source, uh, you're charged for sort of each each event that the uh, the SaaS partner publishes to your account. Okay, cool. All right, so let's talk about SaaS partners because I think this is uh, this is one of those things that I definitely don't want to get lost um, <laughs> in, uh, in in this announcement. And, and and there's so many products that AWS comes out with on a regular basis that sometimes it's hard to keep up. But I think the coolest innovation with EventBridge is almost this idea of completely getting rid of this concept of webhooks, sure. right? So um, now with the ability for partners to put events into an event bus directly, and we can talk about how the authorization, all that stuff works, but this is essentially what it's doing, right? You're getting yeah. rid of uh, webhooks. Exactly, yeah. So um, instead of, you know, going out to um, pick your pick your SaaS partner of choice, you know, I go out to Datadog or whatever, and I go and configure a webhook. And, and when I do that, I have to give them a URL and, and maybe set up some sort of like, secret, et cetera. Um, now, instead of that, I, I'm basically going out to that same partner and uh, and just saying, hey, I want you to send it to my AWS account. Here's my account ID. Um, and here's the region that I want you to, to send these events to. And then we kind of take care of everything else there for you. So now you don't have to go and, and you know, stand up um, an endpoint. You don't have to stand up, you know, a, a Tomcat server in your VPC or um, ideally, obviously, I guess, yeah, we're talking on a, a serverless podcast. So you'd be using <laughs> API Gateway and Lambda, right? Yes, um, we would. We would uh, yes. So, but still, uh, that's not a trivial thing to do necessarily. I mean, I shouldn't say trivial. It's, it's easy to do, but there's still, you know, that's still another thing for you to manage um, and, and another thing for you to kind of, another hoop to jump through as opposed to, you well, know. And there's, uh, I, and there's cost involved, right? right? I mean, if I, so the typical way that I would set up a webhook is most likely API Gateway. Actually, if I was doing a high volume um Webhook, I would probably use ALB at this point just because it would be sure. a lot cheaper. Um, but I would do that, probably hit a Lambda function and then write into an SNS, uh, sorry, an SQS queue um, in order to you know, go into a database or something. Or maybe I do a direct uh, service integration with API Gateway. But with right. this, you're sort of, you don't even have to set up any of that infrastructure. You're just paying for, is it just reads off the stream or writes to the stream as well? Uh, so it's just read, or I'm sorry, it's just writes to the event bus. So it, it doesn't matter how wide you fan out on the back of the event bus, you're only paying yeah. for each message that's sort of getting published to it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. And honestly, I mean, I think just the the sort of uh, the reduction in developer friction too is actually a huge part of it. So um, I mean, how quick 
can you get something stood up where, hey, I just want to you know, trigger a Lambda function every time a new object comes into S3. We kind of want that same experience no matter what that event source is, whether it's something from inside of AWS or outside of AWS. We want you to be able to just super quickly say, hey, yeah, there's this event source. Let me attach my Lambda function. Let me attach my my step uh, function state machine or whatever the case may be, um, and you're off and running. So. so how does a customer go and actually build an integration with you know partner XYZ? Right. Um, so yeah, so for, for partners that have support for EventBridge, um, basically the, it's, it's a pretty simple process where you go out to the partner's um, portal or you know, developer portal or, or console or whatever they've got um, and, and provide them with your AWS account ID. Um, as part of doing that, the, uh, the partner is then gonna go and, and create what's called a partner event source inside of your account with that account ID. Um, the nice thing about this is they don't have to, to, you don't have to give them, you know, a cross account IAM role. You don't have to kind of mess with any of that type of permissioning. Um, they'll essentially create that. Then when you go back to the EventBridge console, uh, you'll see a list of all of these new event sources that are that are available. So, uh, you know, the SaaS partner that you went to will pop up in that list. Uh, you can check the box and say, I want to associate this with an event bus. Um, and then the event bus is there. It's ready to go. You can start adding rules um, and attaching targets um, and start building from there. All right. So what about uh, infrastructure as code? Can can we set up these rules with CloudFormation at this point? Yeah, so uh, CloudWatch Events has CloudFormation support today. You can create uh, rules and, and uh, targets there um, on EventBridge for custom event buses uh, that'll be coming soon. Uh, it's not not available right this minute, but uh, but we're definitely planning on adding that. All right, cool. All right, so now if uh, and actually, let me ask this question first: retry behavior, right? So you have seventeen different sources that this thing can trigger, or seventeen different downstream targets that this can trigger. Um, things like the two retries for Lambda that still applies, right? So um, yeah, if you think about it, really, what uh, what EventBridge is going to do is, is it's going to for every target um, that you've got configured on a particular rule. Um, it's going to make sure that the event gets delivered to that target successfully. Now, in the case of Lambda, what successful delivery means from EventBridge's perspective is that it was able to asynchronously invoke your function. Um, so when it gets a success back from the Lambda service saying that, hey, yeah, the invoke call you made was successful, you know, 200, good job. Um, EventBridge considers that event delivered and it's done. So then at that point, um, you're really kind of relying on the the, the standard Lambda retry policy um, within that that kind of a, a async event, or I'm sorry, async invoke flow. Um, and so if you've got a dead letter queue configured on your Lambda function, et cetera, it's all going to work uh, exactly the same as you would expect. And, and what's the, what are the retry policies on SQS queues or Kinesis or um, step functions, things like that? Yep. Um, so, so basically, we'll retry for uh, 24 hours um, to to kind of make sure that the event gets delivered to whatever target you've got configured. Um, you know, again, depending on the service, uh, that that ultimately just means that we were able to successfully kind of hand it over there. So, uh, so you know, when you think about like an SQS queue, um, that's ultimately just, hey, we're going to go and make sure that the SQS service now has has successfully accepted the uh, the message that we sent to it. Um, and then obviously the, the retries and, and all of the downstream processing is going to be up to you and how you're pulling SQS, et cetera. Sure. So, so we can assume though, with the distributed nature of this, that it's an at least once delivery type model, as opposed to exactly once. 
Correct. Yeah. So, uh, so this isn't at least once delivery. So, uh, so make sure you design for item potency and things like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, and then just, I guess one question on that that I'm thinking of now is, so after the 24 hours, if for some reason a service doesn't accept the event, is there some sort of concept of a dead letter queue for uh, events yet or... No, not, not within EventBridge. So right now, yeah, that that was basically we're going to try for 24 hours, and if we can't do it, then uh, consider that to be a failure. And that, yeah, there, there's not right now a good good way to kind of react to that. Um, I think in the vast majority of cases, you know, 24 hours is is plenty of time for for yeah, the, I would think the so. services to recover. Because again, the downstream services that you're integrating with, uh, you know, you're you're not using just like a standard HTTP endpoint like the right. way that SNS would. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so it's, it's kind of native AWS services that you're relying on there. Perfect. All right. So let's talk about partners for a second. Cause again, this is, um, something that's really interesting. I think, you know, every SaaS provider out there, uh, that does webhooks now has some way to configure webhooks. So this is obviously something that they're going to need to build themselves, right. um, in order to integrate with AWS, which again, I think the demand will be there. So it'll likely be, um, a smart move on their side mm -hmm. to, to do this, but maybe we can talk a bit about how a partner would go about building one of these integrations. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, like I mentioned kind of before, you know, the, the standard customer flows, they're going to start at the, uh, the partner site. So if you go to the EventBridge console, you'll see a list of all the partners that are integrated. And, and so you can kind of get a quick link back over to the partner side in order to go and start the flow. But really, things don't start until you're over on the partner side. So um, so if you're a partner and you want to build this integration, basically, you just need to have kind of a form inside of your developer console that uh, that allows a customer to specify, hey, this is my AWS account, and this is the region that I want you to send events to. Um, and then when they sort of submit that to you, uh, you make one API call that's that's create partner event source, um, where you basically pass in a name of the event source um, and and the account ID that your customer provided you. Um, so you're essentially creating this this new handle that you have access to publish events to, um, and that is kind of that bridge between your account as the as the partner and the customer's account without having to do this kind of IAM cross account role assumption dance, et cetera, right? Um, so once you've created that event source, the customer then can go back into the AWS console. They can um, associate that event source with an event bus that they want. But as soon as you've created that that event source as the partner, um, once that that source is there, you can start sending events to it immediately uh, using a, an API called Put Partner Events. So it's it's basically the same thing as putting a custom event to the default bus. You just get to specify. Uh, this kind of partner event source instead of a, a specific event bus in your own account. And a new uh, a new event bus is created for each partner. And actually, a partner could create multiple event buses. Correct. Correct. That's a good point. So, um, so a partner, you're, so any individual partner could create multiple event sources um, that are associated with your account. So, if you wanted to have separate event sources, uh, you know, kind of a, a common. Uh, Example of this would be, you know, let's say it's an HR system that's publishing, um, you know, multiple kinds of events. Maybe some events are um, about really kind of sensitive data, so salary information about individual employees, um, and then you've got other events that are about, you know, time off requests or something like that that are not nearly as sensitive. Um, those can be directed to different event sources, and then each events each partner event source that that, that uh, gets created in your account will have its own dedicated event bus that you create. Okay. Um, and so then by doing that, now you can create, yeah, specific 
kind of security policies on each one of those event buses. So I can have, you know, my, my sort of sensitive event stream that's uh, locked down and I can have the other one that, that maybe is more open and, and able for other people to, uh, to go and write rules against more freely. All right. So that's, that's a, that's a really cool feature. So I do like that uh, sort of almost, it makes it super easy for the partner to integrate where they just have to make that one API call. And then you handle all of that sort of authentication and right. authorization on your side um, that can be done back with, um, uh, you know, done by the, the, the customer requesting that stuff. Um, all right. So that's, that's really cool. So uh, what's the process of becoming a partner? Because it sounds like you have to sign up for this. Right. So right now today, it's it's uh, a bit of a, a kind of custom request process. So we absolutely want to onboard more partners. Um, and there is going to be a process for uh, uh, for kind of going through that. And that's that's documented on our website. I'll make sure that you've got a link for uh, where people can go if they want to sign up and become a partner. Um, but overall, it's it's kind of a matter of saying, hey, I want to do this. Um, you know, this is my uh this is my domain name that we'll use to kind of identify your integration. Uh, you'll go out and build things. We'll do a quick validation with you um, and then uh, kind of finalize onboarding uh, at that point. Um, obviously, we, we kind of want to continue to, to move this forward in, in, in automating that process, making it more self-service. But, uh, but yeah, as of today, if you're interested, um, definitely, yeah, go, go check out the, the link that we'll share and uh, you, can, uh, you can get started that way. All right. Well, I'm going to make a public service announcement. I'm going to put every SaaS company on notice. Um, I'll give you like three months. If you're not integrated with go. this, I'm going to stop using you and use somebody else who does. Because I just see this saving a ton of money, making the developer experience so much easier. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just, I, I love this. Um, so anything else on the partner side? Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be a bunch of documentation or there probably is a bunch of documentation about how to do all this stuff. Um, seems pretty easy. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, sorry, I would just say, yeah, I mean, I guess the one other thing to note about that is just the, uh, you know, when, when, when you think about webhooks, I guess, uh, and, and kind of all that goes into that, um, everything from, you know, doing the security, doing retries, kind of managing that yourself, um, tends to actually get pretty complicated if you want to do it yeah. right. Um, I think it's really easy to throw a webhook out there. Um, but, you know, if, if you're just using like a simple, um, you know, off token in a header somewhere that's a pre-shared key, like, you know, that there's certain vulnerabilities there. Also, like I'm really doing like the appropriate, uh, you know, retry semantics and everything. It's, it's way easier to sort of offload that onto our plate. You know, that's one of those classic undifferentiated heavy lifting things that we love to solve. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, anyway, would love to yeah, work so with additional partners at once. Serverless webhooks. I think that because right. honestly, I mean, even even if you built serverless webhooks in the past right. with all these other serverless features, just consolidating that all into one simple uh, simple call from the uh, from the API provider or from the SaaS provider. And I, it just the other thing I love about that too is there's so many instances where you lose events with webhooks and things like that because whether your infrastructure, something goes on with the infrastructure or whatever, this is just one of those things where the partner, I'm assuming, will be able to. Uh, build in their own retries and things like right. that to make sure that they get delivered. Um, I think you just, you know, again, not that webhooks aren't scalable, but there's just, to me, this seems like a, just an awesome innovation. So, you know, totally, con you know, congrats to you guys for coming <laughs> up with this or for implementing it, at least, because it is, it is very, very cool. Um, all right. So maybe we can just switch to uh, 
let's talk less about event bridge in general and maybe just kind of talk about event driven architectures. Um, so maybe for people who aren't familiar with this, because we might have been talking over people's heads right. with events passing around and triggering lambdas and doing all this kind of stuff. So maybe you could explain uh, in a couple of sentences what exactly is event driven architecture and kind of how it fits into serverless too might be good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I think that it's it's probably easiest to understand it when contrasted against kind of a command-driven architecture, which I think is what we're most mostly sort of used to. So this idea that I've got some set of APIs that I go out and call, um, and, I, and I kind of issue commands there, right? So I maybe have like an order service, so I'm calling create order, um, or I've got downstream from that, there's some invoicing service now. And so the order service goes out and calls that and says, create the invoice, please. Um, so that's kind of the, the standard command-oriented um, model that, that you typically see with API-driven uh, architectures. Uh, an event-driven architecture is kind of, uh, instead of creating specific directed commands, uh, you're simply publishing these events that talk about facts that have happened, uh, change, you know, these, these are signals that state has changed within the application. So the order service may publish an event that says, hey, an order was created. Um, and now it's up to the other downstream services to, they can observe that event and then do, um, you know, do the piece of their pro do the piece of the process that they're responsible for at that point. Um, so it's it's kind of a subtle difference, but uh, but it's really powerful once you really start kind of taking this um, further down the road in terms of the ability to decouple your your services from one another. Right. So um, when you've got a lot of services that need to interact with a number of other ones, you you end up kind of with a lot of uh, knowledge about all of those downstream services getting consolidated into each one of your other kind of microservices. Um, and that can, that leads to, to more coupling. It makes it more brittle. There's more friction as you're trying to change those things. So that's a huge kind of benefit that you get uh, from moving to this event driven uh, kind of architecture. And then in terms of uh, kind of the, the relationship to serverless, obviously, with services like uh, AWS Lambda, you know that that is a fundamentally event-driven service. It's it's about being able to run code in response to events. So when you move to more of this model of hey, I'm just going to kind of publish information about what happened, then it's super easy to now add on additional kind of custom business logic with Lambda functions that can subscribe to those various different events um, and and kind of provide you with this ability to build uh, to build service applications really easily. Yeah, and I like how you, you know, and I've heard uh, like Danilo um, uh, has mm -hmm. has said this in the past, which is great. Um, you know, calling them facts, like these events that come through are these, uh, they don't change, right? That's just something happened right. and you know about it, right? So rather than updating uh, a record in a database that gives you the current state of something, um, this is that sort of uh, that, that ledger, right? That immutable right. ledger, if you think about it, that has uh, all of that information attached to it. And, and the other thing too, that you know, that I think this is what trips a lot of developers up. Um, and it's funny too, because it's hard once you're in it and once you understand it, it seems very logical. But I think if you take a step back and, and you look at it through uh, someone who's not familiar with this, the idea of asynchronous invocations is something that I think just um, kind of, again, it trips people up because yes. we're very used to this request response model. Uh, but the but the asynchronous nature of event-driven applications is you just kind of put something out there into the ether and something else right. uh, picks it up and does something with that. Um, so maybe, uh, I mean, a question for you, I guess, is 
what what are some of the the patterns or best practices for building event driven applications? And I don't know sure. if we can cover that in yeah, a few yeah, minutes, but, um, right. but just maybe maybe the top line ones, uh, yeah. and maybe actually how it would apply to EventBridge. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, I think one thing that we kind of already talked about a little bit is this idea of having you know kind of an event store, if you will. So um, this would be something like SQS, right? That that provides this sort of durability of the events that are getting consumed by by an individual consumer. Um, so like you said, you know, there, there's this potential for me to um, create this event, I throw it out in the ether, and then what happens if one of these downstream services that's really important that it gets this, this event uh, happens to be down when that event is produced? Um, so, so using things like SQS to kind of provide that, uh, that durability of those events so they can be picked up when that service comes back, um, I think is, is a huge, um, you know, that's a, that's a really important practice to, to make sure you're thinking about sort of what, what is the, the durability needs of the events that I'm producing. Um, and then a nice side effect of that is now you get this sort of, uh, you know, much better sort of availability characteristics of your system overall, because now even my, if I've got an upstream service that's relying on, on sort of downstream behavior, um, even if that downstream service happens to have, you know, an outage or, or is not responding very quickly, maybe it's just in a, a, a um, reduced capacity state, um, I can continue sort of doing my job. Uh, it can continue responding to its clients and customers and, and, and continue to, to operate normally. Um, and then whenever those downstream services come back, they can, uh, they can kind of handle it. Um, the, the sort of converse piece of that is, of course, you need to, you need to think a little bit about sort of this eventually consistent data model that you're going to end up with. So you're going to have, you know, each one of your services probably has its own data stores. Um, because events are now propagating asynchronously through your system, uh, each of those data stores may have kind of a different version of the world at any given time. Um, and so just kind of being aware of that, understanding it, like you mentioned, kind of having this, this ledger of events and, and using that sort of event sourcing pattern to, to keep track of the state of the system um, ends up being really powerful in those scenarios because now I have this ability to kind of, um, you know, manage the state of the world as I understand it in a point in time. Um, and then also the ability to easily sort of roll back or understand what the state of the world was at some kind of past point in time. Um, so anyway, again, yeah, that's the, that's kind of the, the nutshell, uh, description of a couple of, of interesting practices. Obviously, yeah, we could talk all day, uh, about that. Yeah. But, uh, I think we, we may be open to huge can of worms. Right? I think the only other thing I would say too, just in, in the context of EventBridge. Um, so I have always, I, I wrote a post called, uh, serverless microservice best practices for AWS. And, and one of those microservices I define is SNS as being its own sort of microservice in and of itself, because you could use that to bridge, um, you know, between multiple services. So if you wanted to use it to choreograph um, events between multiple services, as opposed to using step functions to do orchestrations or something mm -hmm. like that, um, it's a very good way to do that. And with some cross account capabilities and things, uh, it makes it very interesting. Um, I think EventBridge actually solves that problem and does it better, right? Because now you don't have to go in and specifically create some SNS topic uh, right. that maybe lives outside of all these other services, which is sort of a weird thing where I often find myself publishing a single SNS topic as its own microservice, as its own thing, right. um, and using that with multiple microservices, uh, microservices to communicate with one another. So I like how this is just kind of there um, and you don't have to worry about it and like, oh, did I create this or did I create that? And I'm assuming, you know, you can create as many of these custom uh, event buses as you want. So if you did want to follow that serverless 
uh, sort of stages mentality where you have your dev stage, you have your um, production stage, your staging stage. And maybe if those are in separate accounts, actually those event buses would be in separate accounts anyways. Right. Um, but I think but you could do something similar to that if you wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. So just to be clear, there there is a limit of, uh, I think, 100 um, event buses per account by default. Um, so yeah, so it's not necessarily completely unlimited, but yeah, you can definitely create a number of these uh, custom event buses uh, and use that just as, as you were describing. So. Well, now with Control Tower, I mean, we could just create right, accounts, exactly. as many accounts as we want to. So. Which, yeah, and I think, I mean, you kind of joke, but I think that's actually definitely the the sort of the, the best practice that's going to continue that as as account creation becomes easier and easier definitely having that kind of segregation is yeah. huge um, so totally agree all right well listen we like you said we could talk all day but why don't we wrap this up uh so again thank you so much for for joining me and obviously uh, like just telling us about eventbridge because i think this is really a really really cool innovation uh so why don't you tell the listeners how they can maybe find out more about you and actually uh, probably more importantly no offense to you but how they can find out about eventbridge yeah, of course. So, um, so yeah, so I, I'm on Twitter um, at Mike Deck, M-I-K-E-D-E-C-K. Um, not super, super active on there, but I'm more than happy to uh, to respond to anyone who, who's got questions about this topic or others. Um, and then certainly going to the, the kind of standard EventBridge uh, product page. So aws.amazon.com slash EventBridge uh, would be the best kind of place to, to start off. Um, and then you can certainly just go to the console as well if you just want to go jump in and, and start building. Um, that's always, uh, that's kind of how I always, uh, get started with new AWS services myself. So we'd encourage you guys to all go and check that out. Um, and, uh, yeah, love to hear, hear your feedback, hear about, uh, what you're building. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll get all that into the show notes. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. That's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a big thank you to Mike Deck for joining me and being my guest this week. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash five. For more serverless chats, be sure you subscribe to the podcast using your favorite app like iTunes and Stitcher. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you're interested in serverless and want to discover all the great new articles, use cases, and latest innovations from the serverless community, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.